It's the B-List Daily on the new 105 Sports. My name is Aaron Morse. Filling in for Matty B on this Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And happy to have Coach Dave Wing in studio with us alongside Coach Gus LeBlanc to talk all things sports, local, national. We cover it all here on the B-List Daily. We'll have Willie McGinnis on just before noon to talk some NFL week. Also, we'll have another guest as well today. We will have Travis Barrett from CentralMaine.com calling in at 10.30. But, gentlemen, first things first, obviously Monday Night Football last night, the highest-scoring Monday Night Football game ever. Uh, I, I was enthralled by it. I don't know what you guys thought. <laughs> well, I... Once a year, I just soon see a game like that. I, I think what's happened, though, is we've become a video game. Uh, <laughs> the rules now, nobody knows what pass interference even looks like. They, they've messed it up so that if you breathe on somebody, it could be. Or the next time, you could slap his arm and everything else and no call. So I'm a little concerned about that. It was fun to watch. Uh, I wouldn't Like I said, I don't want to watch that every week. I just soon watched somebody run the ball a half dozen times. What do you think? <laughs> now, this this is the man here that never threw the ball. I shouldn't say never. That's a that's a pretty finite word, isn't it? We threw it? it three or four times yeah, a game. Yeah, well, you know, just to keep the quarterback from quitting. Sure. But, you know, I think, you know, as I, as I watched last night, uh, you know, you got Goff and you got Mahone. I, I think what we're seeing is um, the impact of uh, the spread formation in college, quarterbacks, you know, constantly running out of the uh, – uh, the shotgun or the pistol and, you know, using five receivers. I mean, that's been done on the West Coast before, but now you've got quarterbacks that aren't transitioning to that like the old pros do did, but uh, are now young quarterbacks who are coming out of college where that's all they know. And really, what you really have to teach those guys to do is get, how to get under center, which used to be what <laughs> all quarterbacks used to do. So... Uh, yeah. And spend a lot of time doing it. Absolutely. Practicing center quarterback center exchange is a big yeah. part of practice. So I don't know. I think I think that's part of what it is. And if you like to see the ball in the air, I mean I guess I guess it's pretty exciting football. Oh, it was, I was I loved it. I loved every second of it. It reminded me of a college football game. I mean, and Jerry Goff said that afterwards on the interview on on, on NBC there or probably on ESPN, he was like, That reminded me of Cal versus Texas Tech. Right, because golf went sure. to Cal and Mahomes oh, yeah. went to Texas Tech. I mean, that's uh, the air raid, um, all that good stuff. And uh, and the funny thing is, you mentioned running the ball. Both those teams have great running backs, yeah. right? Oh, Todd yeah. Gurley, Kareem Hunt. And the thing that makes them so great is not only can they run the ball, although they didn't really do much last night, they can block and they can catch the ball out of the backfield, which they do a lot with those guys. Yeah, having so. a three-down back is exception in the NFL right now. Everybody's a specialist. You know the thing I was thinking about, too? I read it somewhere but I was thinking about it also, is Jared Goff. You know, when when Fisher, Jeff Fisher had him as this quarterback, I mean, they, he was awful. People were saying, boy, you wasted that draft pick. They bring in McVay. He looks like, you know, all-conference quarterback, for goodness sakes. It's been unbelievable change of coaches. You know, I think McVay's kind of a risk taker, and he's kind of progressive, and I think that's probably a better match uh, for Goff. Now, did I hear them say last night that that's John McVay's son, the guy that coached the Giants? Is that what they said last night? I haven't heard that. I don't know. He was coaching the Giants. McVay was coaching the Giants when when uh, they were trying to run the clock out, and they, they spun around and mishandled the, the handoff, and Herm Edwards from Philadelphia picked it up and ran in for the winning touchdown with, like, 
seconds left. It's like, wh- what just happened? Uh, Sean's father is Tim, oh, and okay, he played football at Indiana University. The father did. Uh, his grandfather, John McVay, is oh, there a we former go. San Francisco 49ers general manager who was involved in constructing the five Super Bowl winning seasons for the team. So Sean McVay comes from a long line yes. of uh, football So he's people. got some football DNA. Yeah, well, yeah. You, you can just tell. You know, his players like him. He's excited on the sideline. Uh, you know, it's not just a happy, happy clap, clap. I mean, I, I'm sure that they. he's got some guys. It looks to me like he's the good cop, and he probably has some bad cops on his on his coaching staff that will make sure things get snapped into place. Got to have them. Uh, yeah, you got to have them. You got to well, have them. Of course, my wife is a is a big football fan. Uh, when I coached, she was just involved in the program a lot. She watched the game with me last night. And yeah. She's all like, she's watching uh, Mahomes on the sideline, and she's all excited. And he goes, oh, she, he acts like a kid. And I had to say, he's only 23 yeah, he years old. He is a kid, yeah. He is a kid. Yeah. Is a kid. By, our, by our standards, anyway, he's a kid. Yeah, you know, that's the other thing. Uh those guys are coming in the league now. They have no fear. Oh, no, no fear, fear of yeah. failure, No, which is what you got to have. They are just saying, hey, I'm going for it. Hope everything works out. And, you know, so far for him anyway, it has. And, you know, I think a lot of these young quarterbacks and a lot of the young football players have come up through a different culture than you and I oh, did, boy. Dave. I mean, you're, you remember it's like uh, it's, it's 96 degrees and the humidity is 85% and the coach goes, you can't have any water, you know. Yeah. That's Makes that's you weak. for wimps and weak. that kind of stuff, and toughen well, up. And they moved this game from Mexico because the field conditions weren't, you know, yeah, good exactly. Enough. Like yeah. back in the day, they would well, they wouldn't have been playing in Mexico, but they wouldn't have cared about the field conditions all that much. Oh no, muddy <laughs> no. mud bowl would have yeah. been would have been interesting. Tyreek Hill had ten catches for two hundred and fifteen yards for Kansas City, and well, they lost. <laughs> I, I think what's happened though is um, the quarterbacks are coming in. Um, Having run the spread, having uh, had the opportunity plenty of times to read the secondary, to to have a pre-snap understanding of what the other team's going to try to do defensively. Now, they get fooled once in a while. Uh, even Brady said, you know, sometimes I see something and I go, wow, I didn't realize that's what that was. So what happens is it's it's like a video game. They can maneuver the secondary by running this guy out there, and if he runs a curl and that guy runs a post, the safety's going to come up. You know, they've got it all worked out before the play starts. The quarterback knows Gus Bank's going to be open right down there in the middle of the field. And guess what? There he is. And uh, both teams showed that last night. They, I've never seen so many wide open guys. I might have been able to throw a couple of those. I mean, that's really out on the edge. What do you think? I don't know, Dave. You were a pretty <laughs> good quarterback, and you threw a lot of completions. Uh, you know, it was the other thing is you get the camera angles on these games today. Uh, watching last night, and again talking with uh, with Patty, and uh, you know they're playing a two, they're playing a zone. Uh, you know, uh, Los Angeles is playing a zone for, and you could literally see from the end zone camera the windows opening up between the men and the receivers filling those zones and the quarterback throwing to them, and it's just like because of the camera angles and everything in these games nowadays, you really get to see the finer points of the game that people talk about but don't always see. Uh, it's, and I guess the other thing that's really obvious, I, I think with, uh, you know, someone might have said, oh, gee, you know, 54 to 51, what a terrible defensive uh, game, and they must have terrible defenses. They don't. <laughs> those, are, those are two pretty good defenses. The problem with the type of offense that's being run today really breaks the game down into one-on-one matchups. 
you know, you got five receivers out there, you got five defenders, you got five blockers, you got four rushes, you got some linebackers, you got a quarterback who can scramble, and it it really breaks the game down into so many one-on-one matchups. And they've become so good when they've got man-to-man at rubs and picks. <coughs> and you saw last night when um, Kansas City scored, uh, the guys from Los Angeles, two of their defenders just ran into each other uh, on the crossing moves. I mean, it did, the game's just gotten really sophisticated. And I don't think it's it's necessarily poor defense. And remember, the Rams had, I believe, multiple defensive touchdowns. They at least, yeah, they two. Pick, they picked, two, I believe. Yeah, they picked off Mahomes three times. Mahomes also threw six touchdown passes. But <laughs> Well, but. you know, and the game, as Gus was saying, though, the game has, it, it always evolves into something, a, a trend. And he and I can remember when all of a sudden uh, the wishbone came in. And, you know, it's, it looks like a looks like a wishbone from the quarterback out to two, two backs in the backfield. Most people that are listening to us right now don't even know what we're talking about. But all of a sudden, they were arcing their end and not blocking the defensive end. And so now that end is going down on your safety. And then they had a lead blocker. So if somebody came in, they could do something with that or he could block downfield. And then they optioned the end. Well, what you're trying to create is exactly what Gus is talking about with a passing attack where you got a two-on-one or you got a guy one-on-one and you give him the ball and it's just him and you're either going to tackle him or it's a touchdown. And so it was the same kind of thing with a running attack that we're seeing now with a passing attack. How would and people you, couldn't stop it. How would you guys compare this Rams team to the greatest show on turf from back in the day with Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk and Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce and all those guys? Cause, a lot of the same concepts. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Except <laughs> now they're in LA. But that team also was beaten by that those funny looking guys from New England. Well, so, they they won a Super Bowl before that. Yes, yeah. no, they did. No, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I here's the thing that I always said. You know, Peyton Manning uh, don't happen to like the guy for obvious reasons, but you know, uh, I like Peyton. Record setting. Yeah, well, good for you. Record setting. <laughs> I have uh, no opinion on Peyton. Record setting passing attack, but until they changed the rules. Um, he, he couldn't come to Foxborough and beat anybody if it was cold because you, you, you get in that cold turf, cold hands, cold everything, and it slows that kind of attack down. Now, when these teams now get to the Super Bowl, it's going to be nice and warm so or in a stadium or in a dome and, and so on. So, you know, it has allowed all of that to continue to, to move forward, and it's a pretty exciting game. Like I said, do I want to see 10 games where they score – 100 points? No, I don't. I, I'd like to see a defensive game. I'd like to see some running now and then. and uh, But I understand where we're at. Fans love it. Yeah. Oh, you, on the national stage was, like that. It was unbelievable, yeah. I mean, because I, I love college football. I love both, but I love sure. college football. And so I'm I'm not used to seeing these type of games, but these are the type of games that you see, obviously, way more often in college, and they can be really fun to watch. And so, Well, the thing in college is the, is the uh, hash marks, hash marks yeah. are wider, which is much more difficult for the defense. And um, so it's automatically opened up. If you've got the ball way over one hashback, there's a lot of turf on the other side to try to cover, especially when they're throwing, a, throwing the ball well. Yeah. You know, like uh, what's his name from Leach? Was it Texas Tech? Now he's at Washington State. Yep. Yeah, he, they throw it everywhere. Well, and then Goff, Goff played college football under Sonny Dykes, who learned from Mike Leach. And so it's all connected. <laughs> yeah. Those coaching trees. But, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, the thing about the game, uh, the, the, you're, you're absolutely right. They require the defense to defend the whole field. 
you know, when it used to be two tight ends and three backs in the backfield, you could hunker right down. And, uh, oh, I used to rotate my secondary got, to the wide field, you got wide it. side of the field, because, you, you you know, the closed end, they didn't have much space, and you can't do that anymore. Right. They're going to run something crazy back the other way. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean, I know the rules that we use for our split ends uh, when we want to spread the field is don't get any closer than eight yards to the sideline. But if the ball's in the middle of the field and you got two splits, you're going to have one guy eight yards from one sideline and one guy eight yards from the other... That's covering a lot of territory, and what it's doing is taking those corners and putting them in a one-on-one matchup situation. I said one of the most fun times I ever had when I was the coach at Scowigan, and we had a we had a returning team. We won one state championship, we're going for another, and we scrimmaged Bangor. Gabby Price was the coach at Bangor at the time, and so we were running a lot of split backs, veer, wide dive, and straight dive, and option, and whatever, and. Every time we ran wide dive, our guy broke into the secondary, and we're arcing the end. He's blocking their safety. I mean, it's a sprint. I mean, the kid was exhausted from running sprints in their secondary. Finally, I'm in the huddle with my offense. Gabby, Gabby comes right over, pulls on my sleeve. He goes, let's face it. We can't stop that. Can you run something out so we get a chance to hit somebody? <laughs> then we turn around. We're on defense. He's he, we're, we're using a cover two where we're rotating the secondary, so the safety on wherever the action is, he's he's got the deep outside. It's a zone. He puts, like you said, a guy on each sideline. My safety's looking, and then he looks at me like, hey, coach, where am I? I can't get there. Sure enough, he'd roll one way, and the safety's in a sprint. There's no way. He did a quarterback, just arc the ball down. I looked over the him, put my hands up. I go, okay, we're even. I can't stop that either. So <laughs> we both laughed afterwards, saying, what a, what a show that was. We couldn't stop anything. So... You know, it was fun. Getting back to the conversation we had a few minutes ago about the game being a show, you know, and and uh, the fifty-fifty. You know, I think sometimes we have to remember. You know, we look at it from a purist point of view as a coach, <laughs> but uh, we have to remember professional football is a business, and it's about uh, selling ads Putting and making people money. In the seats, yep. And people on TV and people in the stands want to see the ball in the air, and they want to see all that scoring. And uh, I, I, so I think what you, what you saw last night is two teams, Kansas City and Los Angeles, uh, that are putting people in the seats and they're yeah. selling the ads and they're generating money. And that, in a lot of ways, that's what professional football is all about. It's still a game, but it's really a business. And for that game to happen on Monday night where everyone's watching is pretty crazy. Yeah, because there's so many times that those expectations of a great game don't pan out. I mean, Matt even I have sat here a lot of Tuesday morning and say, what a, well, he calls him a turd bowl. That's, what, that, <laughs> Matt, that's Maddie, Maddie's word for that. And well, he's right. Well, the worst games they, are the Thursday night games oh, sometimes. Well, that yeah. is a different kind of a problem. Gus and I would tell you that playing home or away, it's, it's much worse if you play away on Sunday and then having to get your team together and play with, I mean, all you're going to have is a walkthrough. You don't have time to do anything else. Usually you give them Monday and Tuesday off. Well, you can't do that. So you do a walkthrough, no pads, watch some film, and then you're on the road going somewhere to play again. You cannot have your team ready, and physically, they're beat up. I don't care what position they play. They've taken some hits. So we've gotten exactly what you would expect on a Thursday night. That's a money grab. That's and, all it is. And that's what that's what those two days off are about. It's about letting the players' bodies heal. I mean, even at the high school level, I mean, you know, you play Friday night. Well, you got Saturday and Sunday for your kids to heal. That's fine. When we used to play Saturdays, we took Sunday and, and Monday for the kids to heal. 
Uh, but and that's true in the professionals and, the, and sure. the level of the level of contact and collision and the the force of the hits uh, and the impact on the players' bodies at that level of they need rest and so yeah you're right playing Sunday then turning around and playing on Thursday I don't know yeah I used to like it when the only Thursday game was Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. which we have coming up which right. there's three games now I believe on Thanksgiving so it's all day football. Uh, <laughs> So that I enjoy, like the special holiday type thing. But like every Thursday is a little too much, although I still end up probably watching the game, which they all know we we do. So <laughs> we can complain all we want, but we still end up watching. And as you mentioned, it's well, a business. I remember the stats on when they first started Monday Night Football. They were saying, oh, boy, the team that plays Monday Night, because originally they, were no, they hadn't thought this through. You played on Monday Night, and then you had an away game the next week. And they finally said, whoa. The statistics on what happens to those teams that play Monday night and then go away, horrible, horrible. And so, I mean, there was a move afoot really to cut out Monday night football because of that. Well, then they finally said, well, let's see what other things. Well, now teams have adjusted all that like you do in anything. You you make adjustments. You figure yeah. out what to do. Hey, two, one of the games uh, on Thanksgiving is uh, Dallas and uh, the Redskins, Washington. <laughs> And, uh, of course, uh, you might be playing quarterback for Washington, though. That's the only problem. Uh, poor game. Alex Smith. That guy. Yeah, that's, isn't that awful? He's had a, like, he's been such a, like, an official, he's not an exciting player, but he's been such a, like, professional throughout his career. You know, he he's lost a starting job a couple times, but always battled back, and to have that happen is pretty well, You know, that, in, on the that injury, of the that tib fib fracture, lower yeah. tib fib fracture, that's the same injury my, my son had as a freshman oh. playing football. and. That's uh, six weeks in a cast and another four weeks of recovery. And uh, he had to have surgery right away, right? Oh, he had to, yeah, yeah. He had to have surgery right away. I, I, I understand that they've picked up Mark Sanchez as uh, their backup. But Fumble Sanchez, so my favorite. <laughs> My favorite Thanksgiving game of all time. How long the, the old butt can... fumble? Yeah, that'll never go away. That... That's like the Buckner, the Buckner oh, yeah. play that, first base. That baby <laughs> is on our TV in my mind forever. <laughs> I was sitting home with my kids on Thanksgiving Day, which was fantastic, and we're watching that. And oh my God, Josh must have run that back fifteen times, and we <laughs> laughed every time. It's just, and it's good today. Well, when they did. How's he uh, still in the league, though? Like how? I oh, guess he, I know. He was well, off the street. It tells you, he wasn't on a team. It tells you that you, you got to find a quarterback because they aren't out there. They really aren't. Remember Matt Barkley came out of nowhere and played for the Bills last week or whatever. I mean, these are just random Talking USC about quarterbacks. Thanksgiving, who was the guy, the mad bomber for Dallas? Um, he Longley, Clint Longley. He Nobody ever heard of him. I've never heard of no. him. No, and all of a sudden their quarterback got hurt, and they bring this guy in. He was throwing bombs everywhere. Dallas won. And they call him the Mad Bomber. He played one more week, and then never the quarterback is back. Again. Never heard from him again. Never put, gone. Clint Longley. I don't. Yeah, Clint know. Longley. Look it up. He's yeah. <laughs> the, mad, the Mad Bomber. They called him. Yeah, I was. I was interested to find out. I didn't realize it, but uh, I guess. I guess the Redskins were only carrying two quarterbacks yeah. on their roster. Usually, so, you have a like the practice squad has a quarterback. They usually, used to yeah. do. They used to have like a third string QB on a lot of teams, but they've really kind of gotten rid of that. I well, feel they, like. you know, you only have so many roster spots, yeah. and quarterbacks a position that other than the Patriots, they usually spend more money on. So, how much money are you going to tie up? You know, in that one position. Yeah, but you brought up a good point. I mean, most teams have a have a quarterback on their practice squad. Sure. You know, someone that. You know, might be good enough to bump up into a, to a we, number, at least and a who, backup, and they already know the system. 
You know, Clint well, Longley. I'm looking. At, I'm sorry, Clint Longley. Apparently, sucker punched Roger Staubach during the 1976 oh, they, preseason. Seriously, the traded. Yeah, his, his. <laughs> yeah. You can't sucker punch Roger yeah, Staubach. Really? Come on. You're done. <laughs> but yeah, he's best remembered for the Thanksgiving Day performance in '74. But uh, he kind of Ooh. worked his way out of Dallas. That was there. before you were born. What year were you born? That was 13 years before I was yeah, born. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I wasn't born then either. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so Clint Longley, he Clint Longley, the mad bomber, not have unbelievable. There. Yeah. <laughs> then they had the Leon Lett game where he, Leon Lett, yeah. he it was snowy and whatever, and he got mixed up somehow and oh, tried yeah. to pick up a fumble and fumbled it into the end zone for a touchdown the other way. I mean, nuts. Ran it the whole way, right? The yeah. wrong direction. No, yeah. no. Oh, no. This is the one. It was a fumble. Were there two times he did this? Didn't he do it twice? Or? No, this was oh, a okay. fumble, right? And he tried to fall on it, and it squirted out uh, into the end zone. He shouldn't have touched it. You know, it's one of those uh, things. Yeah, he yeah, let yeah. it go. Right. And, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. I, I kind of like the Thanksgiving game day game. You know, your family's together, and and uh, you do a lot of chatter and whatever. Not necessarily one early in the day, but a little later, after you've eaten and, you know, the trip the fan or whatever they call it settled in. Everybody yeah, so kind of sits back and... Leon Lett's Wikipedia page is really funny because there's like early life, professional career, and then three is famous plays. <laughs> First, there's two famous plays. The Super Bowl, where he did pick up a fumble yeah, and yeah. run it all the way yeah, to the wrong end the wrong zone. Direction. And then the th- the one you're referencing, Thanksgiving, yeah, where Thanksgiving. he tried to recover it and bounced in. In the snow. So, the poor yeah. guy is like, he had a great career, but he's remembered for like two complete blunders. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> well, you know, it's like anything. Yeah, It's like being a quarterback. You know, if you throw the ball 20 times, you're probably not going to get an interception. You throw the ball 120 times, like Patrick Mahomes. the chances that you're going to get an interception probably increase. Yeah, Mahomes yeah. threw it 46 times last night. Goff threw it 49. But, so. you know, think about, think about you know, you talk about not even carrying the third-string quarterback. Think about the Patriots. They, they, I, can't, I can't remember who the quarterback coach was, but he begged them to keep Brady. So they had four quarterbacks on their roster. Filling roster spots, not on the practice squad. Yeah. And eventually, when when uh, Bledsoe got hurt, he jumped from four to number one like that, and the rest is history. Just think about that, though. Nobody keeps four quarterbacks. Like you say, they don't even keep three anymore. Yeah. They had four. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we should have Travis Barrett from CentralMaine.com to talk some University of Maine hockey I don't know much about the hockey team there, but he does. Coach Wing, I'm sure, knows his stuff. So we'll be back. Particulars of Maine hockey. Just a moment here on the B-List Daily. My name is Aaron Morse, live from the Spectrum Healthcare Partner Studios, filling in for Maddie B on this Tuesday, and also live at Sports Time 780 in Rumford. Back in a moment here on the B-List Daily. There's a winning culture when it comes to sports teams in New England. Well, now there's a new team to add to the list. The orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners. An all-star team of orthopedic care right here in your backyard. Four of the area's top orthopedic practices, OA Centers for Orthopedics, Central Maine Orthopedics, Falmouth Orthopedic Center, and Maine Ortho have joined forces to become a dream team of orthopedic care where physicians, surgeons, sports medicine specialists, and clinical staff share resources and work as one to make patient care efficient and more affordable. To learn more about the orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners and connect with a provider in your area, visit spectrumhcp.com ortho. That's spectrumhcp.com ortho. 
The 18th Annual MBR All-Star Weekend takes place November 17th and 18th at the Augusta Civic Center, presented by Spectrum Healthcare Partners. The weekend consists of the best high school basketball players throughout Northern and Southern Maine, squaring off from 6th grade to 12th grade. Boys and girls, get signed up now. Find more information at mainebasketballreport.com or at mbr.org. November 17th and 18th, you'll be able to watch the live stream of those games as well at mbr.org. All presented by Spectrum Healthcare Partners. See something? Smell something? Do something. When your basement or crawl space smells, don't ignore it. Odors, mold, and harmful pollutants come from too much moisture and not enough air circulation making your home unhealthy. Do something. Call Wave Home Solutions today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. Experts recommend ventilation instead of dehumidifiers to reduce moisture and expel harmful gases and pollutants. Wave Moisture Control Units continuously dry out your home, transforming it into a fresher, healthier environment year-round. Wave Units cost only pennies a day to operate, and there are no buckets too empty. Call Wave today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. That's goodairusa.com or call 1-888-980-WAVE. If you owe the IRS back taxes, payroll taxes, or have not filed your returns, the IRS will get you. Call Wallen Associates now and pay less than you owe. 800-727-0433. That's 800-727-0433. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs risk-free, call 1-800-679-0969. That's one 800-679-0969. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. All aboard MBR.org. The place to get all your high school and amateur sports news and information. MBR.org is in high gear with Maine High School Winter Sports. Go to MBR.org to chat about your favorite team. Find the latest articles, travel news, and cancellations. Or visit their all-new and very popular team pages. MBR.org has everything you want to know about high school and amateur sports in Maine. Coming in February, all the high school tournament action at your fingertips 24-7. It's high school sports heaven. All aboard MBR.org! If you are a coach, a booster, a PTA leader, Maine Athletic Fundraising is the choice to help you make money. Maine Athletic Fundraising works with both high school and youth programs of all ages to make you the most amount of money in the least amount of time. No risk, no minimums. Mark Smith and his staff will walk you through every step of their plan to help you meet your financial goals. Call them today, 207-468-1759, or check them out online, MaineAthleticFundraising.com. Delivering on the promise. 
When it comes to insurance, choose the best. The Shampoo Insurance Group, licensed by more than 30 companies, including Ohio Mutual Insurance Group, Shampoo will customize a quality, affordable policy for your home and auto. Visit Shampoo Insurance in Lewiston, Pinkham Agency in Farmingdale, Rogers Agency in Lisbon Falls, and People's Agency in Monmouth. Delivering on the promise at Shampoo Pinkham Rogers Insurance Agency. It's the B-List Daily Live from the Spectrum Healthcare Partner Studios on this Tuesday morning. My name is Aaron Morse, filling in for Matty B. We got Coach Dave Wing and Coach Gus LeBlanc in studio. And on the phone with us now is Travis Barrett from CentralMaine.com to talk all things local sports. And Travis, first of all, uh, I saw you covered the Class C um uh, uh, regionals at least uh, how about Nokomis and what they did this year making that run to the state title game and winning it all what were your thoughts on, on their season I don't it's kind of weird I thought uh, I don't know if I would have after the after their regional quarterfinal against uh, Madomic other than that game I don't know if I would have picked them to win any of the games that they won and yet <laughs> they did um, I thought it was I thought what was what was really amazing about it is that they had some options offensively. They could run the ball, and they could throw the ball, and the quarterback was a senior. And yet they still only needed 13 points to win each of their last three games. So it kind of tells you how, uh, how good their defense was. And I think for a team that, um, you know, wasn't necessarily very deep. It wasn't like they had a bench full of 20 kids. Um, they still found a way to get it done. I, you know, it's kind of an interesting, you know, again, you, you take a team that had never won a playoff game until this year that had been um, 0-8. You know, this senior class had two 0-8 seasons as freshmen and sophomores, and to, to cap it off winning a state championship is kind of one of the things you like about high school sports, I think. Excellent. I saw your most recent article here on centralmain.com talking about Coney and Gardner getting some new coaches for their hockey teams. Give us an overview of where you're covering high school hockey. What can we can expect uh, this winter yeah. here in Maine? I expect a long winter in Central Maine. I know that. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, it's not good. We, we were... You know, it's funny because um, I think hockey, unlike other sports, tends to be a little bit more predictable. Um, somebody had said jokingly last night at the office, like, well, you never know, maybe someone will surprise you. And I think, unfortunately, in high school hockey, there aren't a lot of surprises. I mean, if we look at Coney, um, they should be they should be okay, but, you know, they they, don't really, you know, they graduated their goalie, and that, that's a huge loss. And then, you know, I think in that, in, in Class A North, I mean, it's really, it's Bangor and Lewiston, yeah. and, and St. Dom's, and, um, you know, Edward Little have kind of made strides here. So I think that's an uphill battle for them. I think in Class B, like, Gardner will be, they play in the South. They'll be, they'll be competitive, but, man, they're in with them. You know, they're playing the Yorks and the Yarmouths and the Greeleys. So they just, they have a really tough road. And I think, um, you know, like I said, I think numbers, numbers for Coney and Gardner, surprisingly, for those two teams are good. But I, I just, numbers are a struggle. And, and I just don't see, you know, Metro will have, you know, they had nine players last year at the end of the year or something like that. And so they, they'll, they have a big freshman class that's come in. But still, you're talking about freshmen, you know, who, you know, when you're the size that I am, that's a problem hockey typically uh, need a little more size a little more muscle so i don't know i think it's gonna be a long year in central maine um hockey wise so um yeah that's gonna be that's that is kind of what it is you know? gotcha travis it, I it, it, that's the landscape of the state really. right kind of everywhere 
Travis, I said on the A yesterday that uh, I, I feel this way about football because of the physical nature, and I feel this way about hockey because of the fact that I don't care if Bonnie Eagle has 1,700 kids. There's no <laughs> rink anywhere close by. Yeah, yeah So yeah, right. they're not going to grow up playing youth hockey unless their parents are wicked dedicated. Yeah. And the kid has a tremendous interest. And, and I, I see that now. The You know, some of those, like you, you listed them off, the schools that have rinks fairly close by, they, they, the youth hockey has continued, maybe not as strong as it used to be, but of course our enrollments have drifted anyway, you know, and yeah. whatever. I, I think we're going to continue to see that, aren't we? Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, it's funny because I think, um, you know, uh, Norm Gagne, when he was at Scarborough, um, you know, that was one of his, you know, his rallying cries. Was like, if we don't find a way to get a rink here, we're asking a lot of these kids to go to Lewiston to practice and play sure. games. Like, that's just, you, you're not going to be successful. And, um, it's true. I think, you know, it's, again, it's no surprise that when you look here in Maine, that Coney and Gardner, their numbers are good because, you know, the ice vault has been there forever. It, you know, even after, of course, even after the, the damage to it and, and it was rebuilt, um, and of course it's a, you know, beautiful facility now, unlike the old Kennebec Ice Arena on the same property, but they, but it's always been there. So, and I think, you know, I think if we keep an eye on it, really, I think, We've seen it a little bit, but Suki Arena just suddenly deciding to close a couple of years ago with, with no notice, really. Um, we're probably not feeling it just yet, especially at the high school level, but I know in, in, in picking around a little bit last winter, still trying to get some answers on that. Um, they're starting to see it at the youth level because you're asking those kids, those families of 7, 8, 9, 10-year-old kids to go to Kent Hill. And from Winslow to Kent Hill on a Tuesday night, you know, in a busy, in a busy world we live in with, with families, with kids, you know, that 45-minute drive, is, is, that's, a, that's an ass. That's a big ass. And I think um, we're going to see that, especially uh, Watermill and Winslow, um, you know, if not this year, next year. But certainly three, four, five years down the road, all of these kids that should have been coming in, they're not going to be coming in anymore. Certainly not in the numbers that they were. And... And thank, thankfully, you know, in this area, in the Waterbury area, Colby College has been tremendous in terms of working with Central Maine youth hockey, but it's still, it's still one rank that is trying to, you know, they have commitments to their men's team, to their women's teams there, to, uh, you know, to um, their own student body. You know, they have to have that rink open for, for free skates for certain hours of the day. Yeah, those are in the bylaws, yeah. It's yeah. a long, I mean, that's a long answer to, to your question, but, it, it, you know, it's true. It's just, it's an uphill battle, and, and it all starts with lack of available ice. Well, I think the other thing, too, not not just available ice, that how, how expensive the ice is these days. Crazy. You know, yeah, crazy. any rink to try to, to stay solvent, they have to charge huge amounts of money. In youth hockey, it becomes, you know, what used to be $300 for the season, and you could fundraise some of that money. Now is six and seven hundred dollars a season, yeah. and plus equipment. Pretty yeah. soon you've you've started to put people aside who there's no way in heck they can do that. It, it just yeah. isn't possible. So yeah, I think that's going to continue to be an issue. You know, it's funny because I had a conversation yesterday with some people about the way um, travel hockey has gone. Right, you get out of your rec leagues, and so now you're into travel teams, and you're into. Um, even even way before you get to junior level and premier level, your travel teams you're you're looking at a minimum expense of nearly five thousand dollars for a winter. 
And yeah. that, that doesn't even begin to include, like, we're going to Massachusetts to play two games, and so we got to get hotels. And, yeah. Uh, families are paying that. And so, of course, right, the knock on hockey has always been, this is an expensive sport, and it, and it weeds out um, middle and lower class families. And they've tried to fight that perception, but the fact is, it's true. You know, it's a perception because it's largely true, and that's, that's what's too bad about hockey. Because the, the beauty of hockey, as we know, is um, there's a place for workmanlike kids, you know, for players that aren't afraid to get their nose dirty and play physical and do whatever is asked of them. But I don't feel like those kids get a chance anymore because of the, the structure of the game. Those are the kids that I thought when I coached youth hockey when my kids were playing, those are the kids that you, you kind of needed. It was good for them to oh, get on the ice and get that out of their system so they went back home and went to school. They weren't beating up on kids and whatever. You know, we kind of, we've lost a little bit of that, I think. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I, I as a long-time, um, you know, writer of hockey at all, at all levels, from the professional game down, uh, I, I'm a firm believer in, you give me 15 of those kids versus 15 kids that all think they can score 30 goals, and we're going to beat you every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, it's the nature of the game. But unfortunately, I think, again, the way it's gone, um, more, more, more often than not, those are the kids that aren't even getting a chance to play anymore, and that's, that's what's too bad. Hey, Travis, how about University of Maine? Are we They had a, a nice win against BU because BU has a new coach, so that always has yep. to settle in. Are they going to turn the corner here? I mean, I, I've, I've always felt good things. I know Red Gendron, I mean, not mm. a friend, but I mean, personally, I know him, and yeah. I, I expected him to do great things there. Yeah. I, I think, again, you know, it's funny. Like, you look at last weekend, um, you know, as part of the bigger picture for them this year, it's just been one step forward, one step back, one step forward, one step back. But I do feel like, and we talked about it before the season started, um, you know, what you saw Saturday night in a 3-2 to two win with Jeremy Swayman making 40 saves and looking really good, looking like the goalie they think he is, and he's done that in a couple weeks in a row now. Um, I think that's, unfortunately or fortunately, depends, you know, how you, if you're glass half full or glass half empty, guys, um, that game Saturday night, is that has to be the recipe for them. They're, they're not going to score five or six goals a game every night. You can't count on that. And they need their goalie to be the best player on the ice. And when he can do that, they're going to win games they shouldn't win. You know, I, I think, you know, they came out of the weekend against UMass Lowell, um, and Red was really upset because penalties, 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 dumb penalties, penalties from, from captains, penalties from kids that, you wouldn't expect, and and I mean, back-breaking, stupid, cross-checking penalties in the offensive zone when you're on a five-minute major that basically just wipes out any momentum you had. So uh, he was very frustrated. He bent some kids that you wouldn't expect. Chase Pearson was one of them in the third period of that Saturday night game against Lowell. And so, you know, then Friday night at BU, it's the same thing. You know, they take a dumb penalty, and they give up a power play goal late in the third period, and they lose that game 3-2. to two. Um, credit to them, they rebounded Saturday again behind Swayman and some early goals. But I don't know. I just we, we've talked about hard times. They're just they're 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 fighting such a, a battle in the recruitment game. It's an uphill battle for them. But I think if you're looking for positives, um, you know they're, they're going to have a good test this weekend with Quinnipiac for sure. I mean that's a good program. So um, they again, their goalie's got to be their best their best player every night and. You know, I think if you ask anybody, it doesn't matter. It can be, your, it can be a defenseman, it can be a center, it can be a third-line right wing. If you, whoever you ask to be your best player every night, 
um, over the course of nearly 40 games, there's going to be nights where, where Jeremy can't be their best player on the ice. And so when that happens, some of those games are probably going to look ugly. But if he can uh, play as, as good as he's capable of playing, they're going to be in all these games and they're going to have a chance to win them. They just they have no margin for error. They can't take dumb penalties. They can't, they can't kill three penalties a period. They're, they're not talented enough and they're not deep enough to do that. Well, how about the thoughts on the Boston Bruins? I know you follow them really closely. They have a game uh, at Detroit tomorrow night at 7.30. What are your thoughts on their season so far? Yeah, I mean, they got to get everybody healthy, right? Yeah. I thought, um, you know, having Chara out, I think it's great. Okay, I shouldn't say it that way. That sounds awful. I think it's going to be very eye-opening for people, if it isn't already, for that camp that thinks Chara's too old and can't play anymore because he's not blazing fast. That to have him out of the lineup for a stretch, I think you're going to notice how valuable he is to that team still. Um, he, he still logs a ton of minutes. Um, but they're just, you know, they're so banged up. He's got so many injuries back there. You know, uh, Kevin Miller's supposed to, you know, play tomorrow night now. and But, you know, you've been without him. You've been without Char. You've been without McAvoy. You've been without Krug for a stretch. I mean, you're just asking kids to play every night at NHL level. So I think you got to get... They got to get through the holidays. They got to get healthy. You got to hope Bergeron is not long-term serious. Um, I heard a, a interesting um, a poll, so to speak, on NHL Serious Channel the other day. They were saying, "Okay, whatever team you follow, it's the one player you can't do without." And I think for the Bruins, I think it's still Bergeron. But then I got thinking, like. But I think Pasternak's kind of going, moving into that territory. And then I wonder, is he good because of Bergeron or is he good because he's just going to be an elite-level talent? So I think if Bergeron is out for any length of time, the onus is going to be on a player like Pasternak to not miss a beat uh, without his center. So what stories are you currently working on for CentralMaine.com, Travis? Well, let's see. Thanksgiving means... Um, Fall All-Star teams are coming shortly, so we're kind of working on wrapping up the fall and getting ready for our winter sports preview. And um, I'm letting uh, UMaine Hockey and Colby College Hockey kind of dictate my next couple of weeks to uh, bridge the season. That's, that's sort of my life in a nutshell, I think. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird time of year because you feel like the fall ends, and then you're right into the winter, and there's no break. Right. When the winter season ends, like, you know, you get through February vacation with the basketball tournament, and then a couple of weeks later, hockey's all done. And then you basically wait until June for the fields to dry up so you can play spring sports an entire season in two and a half weeks. So, um, I don't know, I always feel like this time of year with the holidays and the, the quick changeover in seasons is it's kind of a busy time of year, but in a very different way than chasing games every day. Well, Travis, before we let you go, um, I wanted your take on last night's Monday Night Football game. I hope you got the chance to watch it. We were talking about it earlier. Uh, we got some coaches in the studio who are a little old school, prefer maybe a little more defense or running the ball. What did you see? What What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I didn't watch it. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, now, listen, I realize that uh, Maddie would, would couch that in a way to make me sound like a moron because he knows that I would not watch that. I didn't um, know that. I'm sorry. I apologize. That's all right. No, no, that's okay. I am a, I'm a, I'm a proud member of the I Don't Watch the NFL Every Week uh, Sports Writer Society. Okay. Um, but I, you know, it is, okay, I will say this. One, it is nine, funny that two, people are going dot, crazy one, about what a six, great game that was. Eight, dot, and I, 
zero dot one five zero. How few points there were, uh, like how like th- th- there was no defense in that game, and it was roundly celebrated as a great game. And I'm thinking, eh, I bet the coaches felt a little differently. I bet the coaches wish they had uh, they had made uh, a few more stops defensively. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but I do, I, I do like the fact that I do love the fact that there are teams that are not the New England Patriots that are in the conversation for clear cut Super Bowl favorites. So that makes me very happy. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that he's an anti Patriot. Anti? Guy. Yeah. Oh, we got yeah. okay. We, he's like Gus. We have anti Patriot. Interesting uh, diversity of folks in terms of their rooting interests around here, more so than I thought, perhaps. But uh. <laughs> yeah, well. I have to keep it, I, I keep it like uh, the running joke is always, uh, who do you root for then, Trav? Who do you root for in the NFL? And I literally root for whoever is playing the Patriots that week. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right. Except for the Jets, I can't bring myself to root for the Jets. But I'm not rooting for the Patriots either, so we're going 0-0 zero, zero tie on Sunday. Oh, that's zero, zero tie. <laughs> the exact opposite of last night's game, I suppose. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Travis, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Make sure everyone check out Travis' stuff at centralmain.com. Travis Barrett, thanks again. Gentlemen, thank you. And thanks, Travis. Don't blow up the studio without your fearless leader around. Uh, we're trying Have a nice to. Thanksgiving. Yep. <laughs> All right. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. That was Travis Barrett. You know, talking about different rooting interests, I want to yeah. know um, Gus is a Green Bay fan, and um, Aaron is a Seattle Seahawks fan. Mm hmm. What was that like uh, oh, that a week was... ago? <laughs> Thursday? Was there uh, no punches thrown? I don't see any black eyes or anything. Well, we didn't watch it together. No. Oh. I watched oh. it I watched it with my fiance, Christina. Who's a Green Bay fan. Who's a Green Bay fan, yes. and she was not happy about that no. insult. No. So the, pack, the Packers are really struggling right now. They. Uh... Yeah, we talked off the air about, about uh, the coaching, about uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers frustrated. Um, they, they don't seem to make the plays at the times they need to, and... I suspect you'll see a coaching change yeah. in, the, in, in Green Bay so. at the end of this year, and uh, I think they're going to go. Uh, they're going to go for somebody that's uh, maybe younger, has more of an offensive perspective, and uh, I think. Uh, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is, is a great quarterback. I think it's really difficult to, for anybody to deny that, uh, but I think he he needs a coaching staff that's going to best uses talents and i suspect that's the direction that green bay is going to go in the, the chat around here is that uh that there may be some feelers out for josh mcdaniels already yeah i've heard that a couple of times I, I don't know if that's even close to the to the where it's at but uh certainly that would give in the offensive punch that they were looking for he's he's pretty slick with what the kind of things he tries to do and uh, he's been doing that with a pretty much a stationary quarterback, and to have a guy like Rodgers who can move the pocket a little more effectively and whatever could be gangbusters. I mean, it could be really good. Yeah, it'll be interesting because he had that chance to go to with the Colts and uh, chose not to. Boy, right now they're looking pretty yeah. good, aren't they? Yeah, they, they are. They've really yeah. turned the corner and it looked good. Andrew Luck is back. He's Aaron, tell us about viable quarterback. You know, Seattle. We keep we keep talking about the demise of the Seahawks, and yet somehow they keep hanging wow. in there. I know, but they they started off smoke poorly. and mirrors. They they well, they started off poorly, obviously, this year, but they've recovered a little bit. If you look at uh, what the NFC West right now, obviously, unfortunately for them, the Rams are in their uh, <laughs> division, but they're five and five. So, I mean, you look at the playoff hunt, they're they're in it for the wild card, certainly. You look at, 
You have Washington leading the East, but they're in trouble without Alex Smith, oh, I would yeah. have to imagine. I, I think so. Dallas right on their heels at 5-5. Five and five. Bears leading the North at 7-3, but Vikings are 5-4-1. and one. So if you're looking to see us competing really against like the likes of the Vikings, right now the Cowboys, possibly Washington soon, and also Carolina 6-4. and four. Obviously you get two wildcard bids, so right now they'd be on the outside looking in, but they're not... They're not too far outside. Although They're very the, close. Although the Vikings have Green Bay left and they have the Patriots left. So, I mean, technically those could be two losses. So, I think there's some hope for Seattle there's, to get There's hope for a wild card there. bid. Yeah, I think the, so. The problem is that the NFC, it's all Saints and Rams. I yeah, mean, oh Saints boy. are 9-1, and one, Rams yeah. are 10-1. Right. Bears are a pretty good team. Yeah. Bears are a third. They're the third best team, but I think a little bit distant third. The Bears defense is outstanding. I, I just Trubisky's can't. a good player. Yeah, I although I, I can't. See him in a really, really big game doing what we saw last night. I, I well, not that. If he very if few he, people can do if that. His defense, <laughs> if his defense can't slow down either L.A. or or uh, New Orleans, I don't see him being able to say to the team, "Get on my back, we're we're going places." I maybe maybe he can, but he's I don't fast. I don't see it. He's, like he's, he's got fast. Roger. He, he's he fast. can run. No, he faster can run. than Rodgers at this point. Yeah, I mean, he can run, no question. So the Bears look very strong in, in the North. I mean, but the NFC, it's going to become. I think it's going to be, I mean, I'd be shocked if the NFC title game is not Saints versus Rams. I mean, that'd be, well, it'd be a pretty big upset. You, you just don't know. You know? Yeah, you don't know, but. Somebody gets, <laughs> somebody fumbles and you get a pick sick. I don't know. You just, I mean, that's what makes the NFL so exciting is a team can go from last to first or vice versa in a heartbeat. A couple of draft picks and a couple of breaks and whatever. And. When the playoffs start, you just have no idea. Uh, I mean, we've seen several times lately where the wild card team, oh yeah, get goes straight to the finals. You know, so you don't know. Yeah, you know, you got what you had. Uh, you had the Texans. Was the Texans that uh, beat the Patriots? No, Tennessee. Tennessee. Tennessee, was Tennessee that was, sorry. and then Tennessee got. They were terrible this yeah. week. And then, of course, you had Denver that uh, beat the Chargers the other night. Yeah. The Lions got in the win category. Yeah. So not talking about the very top teams, but when you look at the other teams, week to week, there's upsets, there's mm-hmm. unexpected wins. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty interesting when you get when you get beyond those top echelon teams uh, like um, the Saints and uh, the Rams. Uh, and even Kansas City, uh, they belong up there definitely. Uh, did, week to week, you're not sure what's going to happen. Well, Matty was thinking, and I and I agreed with him, normally when a team like the Rams kind of surprises people last year, because they won the division, they have what they call that first team play uh, schedule the next year. They have to play the division winners the next year, you know, that kind of a schedule. And usually they... Like what happened to Jacksonville, they fall back to earth because they're playing a much tougher schedule than they did the year before. Well, they haven't fallen back. No. They, they've looked pretty damn good and could be undefeated, to be honest with you. Well, you know, Goff's got a, you know, we were talking about Seattle a few minutes ago, and, you know, Wilson's a pretty good quarterback, but he hasn't got a great supporting cast. No. You look at Goff. Goff's got a pretty good support. He's got, he sure got a great supporting. Cast. I can't. I can't figure out how they've done it under the salary cap. They've picked up a lot of really good players. Well, you got Goff is you know on his rookie contract, which obviously helps. You saw the Seahawks win their Super Bowl when Wilson was on his rookie sure. contract. So that the early years of a great young quarterback are your that's your window. Yeah, you got to before do you it. start got to start paying him a lot. And speaking about that, did you see the graphic they put up last night on Mahomes about? 
him being up there with Peyton Manning and and Brady and Don Marie uh, Dan Marino. through the through the first like eleven games yeah of the for season. the first eleven games how many touchdowns yeah he scored you know this is a kid that uh, you would assume has got going to go great places well when he comes from an athletic family his yeah. dad was a professional a athlete and major league and uh, major league pitcher so. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he just – and he looks calm as heck. He looked like he was having fun last night. Yeah. It didn't look like he was all stressed out on national TV. It's kind of like, let's go. We may have the news firing in just a moment, so we'll wait and see yeah. here. It's 11 a.m. sharp here. But for now, we'll take a break here on the B-List Daily on 105 Sports and Sports Time 780. W288CW 105.5 FM Auburn. WEZRAM 1240 Lewiston. WTME AM 780 Rumford. This is 105 Sports. There's a winning culture when it comes to sports teams in New England. Well, now there's a new team to add to the list. The orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners. An all-star team of orthopedic care right here in your backyard. Four of the area's top orthopedic practices, OA Centers for Orthopedics, Central Maine Orthopedics, Falmouth Orthopedic Center, and Maine Ortho have joined forces to become a dream team of orthopedic care where physicians, surgeons, sports medicine specialists, and clinical staff share resources and work as one to make patient care efficient and more affordable. To learn more about the orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners and connect with a provider in your area, visit spectrumhcp.com ortho. That's spectrumhcp.com ortho. The 18th annual MBR All-Star Weekend takes place November 17th and 18th at the Augusta Civic Center, presented by Spectrum Healthcare Partners. The weekend consists of the best high school basketball players throughout northern and southern Maine, squaring off from 6th grade to 12th grade. Boys and girls, get signed up now. Find more information at mainebasketballreport.com or at mbr.org. November 17th and 18th, you'll be able to watch the live stream of those games as well at mbr.org. All presented by Spectrum Healthcare Partners. See something? Smell something? Do something. When your basement or crawl space smells, don't ignore it. Odors, mold, and harmful pollutants come from too much moisture and not enough air circulation making your home unhealthy. Do something. Call Wave Home Solutions today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. Experts recommend ventilation instead of dehumidifiers to reduce moisture and expel harmful gases and pollutants. Wave Moisture Control Units continuously dry out your home, transforming it into a fresher, healthier environment year-round. Wave Units cost only pennies a day to operate, and there are no buckets too empty. Call Wave today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. That's goodairusa.com or call 1-888-980-WAVE. If you owe the IRS back taxes, payroll taxes, or have not filed your returns, the IRS will get you. Call Wallen Associates now and pay less than you owe. 800-727-0433. That's 800-727-0433. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, 
tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs risk-free, call 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. All aboard MBR.org! The place to get all your high school and amateur sports news and information. MBR.org is in high gear with Maine High School Winter Sports. Go to MBR.org to chat about your favorite team. Find the latest articles, travel news, and cancellations. Or visit their all-new and very popular team pages. MBR.org has everything you want to know about high school and amateur sports in Maine. Coming in February, all the high school tournament action at your fingertips 24-7. It's high school sports heaven. All aboard MBR.org! If you are a coach, a booster, a PTA leader, Maine Athletic Fundraising is the choice to help you make money. Maine Athletic Fundraising works with both high school and youth programs of all ages to make you the most amount of money in the least amount of time. No risk, no minimums. Mark Smith and his staff will walk you through every step of their plan to help you meet your financial goals. Call them today, 207-468-1759, or check them out online, MainAthleticFundraising.com. Delivering on the promise. When it comes to insurance, choose the best, the Shampoo Insurance Group. Licensed by more than 30 companies, including Ohio Mutual Insurance Group, Shampoo will customize a quality, affordable policy for your home and auto. Visit Shampoo Insurance in Lewiston, Pinkham Agency in Farmingdale, Rogers Agency in Lisbon Falls, and People's Agency in Monmouth. Delivering on the promise at Shampoo Pinkham Rogers Insurance Agency. Welcome back into the Spectrum Healthcare Partners Studios. Aaron Morse filling in for Maddie B on this Tuesday before Thanksgiving on the B-List Daily on the new 105 Sports and on Sports Time 780 in Rumford. In studio, Coach Dave Wing and Coach Gus LeBlanc. And Coach Wing, during the break, you said you wanted to talk a little bit about more about those high school state title games and what Gus was doing up there in the booth with you uh, in terms of breaking things down, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the first and last games, uh, the A and the B games, were, uh, I, I don't want to say a foregone conclusion because that's not fair, but I think very, very strong teams uh, that, played the way that you would expect them to play and they won and uh but the c game uh both teams came in as kind of surprise teams i think there was an expectation that maybe it's going to be mci again from the north uh and maybe love it from the south those were the teams that uh people were expecting or maybe even herman which would have been a surprise because they would have been even more of a surprise than <laughs> than the comas yeah uh but what happened in the game was the the very first uh time that that Nagomas got the ball, I think they only ran the ball once. It might have been twice, but they ran. They went the length of the field throwing the ball, and everything was wide open. It was like, holy smokes, they had to score 50 points. We were shocked because I didn't. they didn't come in as that is their thing. And uh, But Freiburg answered with a kind of a slow 
caught a dust drive with uh, their quarterback doing a lot of the running and and uh, missed the extra point, so it was seven to six. After that, uh, Freiburg made some adjustments and shut the pass game down. Gus, what what kind of things did they do that you saw that that made a difference there? Well, I uh, what I saw, of course, uh, they. Uh, Freiburg was uh, playing a four-man front, but they also were sliding into a, a three-three-five uh, defense, and you know, putting, um, you know, they're playing with five linebackers and, and, and three people behind them, and uh, that what that allows you to do is uh, uh, you can either play man-to-man underneath, uh, or you can rotate and uh, send one linebacker and have them, and so they were. They were given, I suspect, uh, the Nakoma's quarterback some looks that he wasn't used to. You know, one time the guy's being covered man-to-man, it's tight coverage, uh, then it's a zone, or sometimes it's man-to-man underneath with a zone over the top. So they virtually, uh, I'm not sure exactly everything they did, but they did take that, uh, they did take the pass game away from Nakoma's, uh, uh, and that made a huge difference in the game. And then we talked at, at halftime. So uh, what the teams need to do? Freiburg, clear, I mean, Nokomis clearly wanted to throw the ball, and they showed that they could be successful doing it. Uh, and Freiburg uh, was a running team because we had done their game the week before, and they liked to run the ball, period. Uh, and so neither team, they had to make some adjustments One, in order to be nine, successful. Two, dot. In the one, things, six, hey, we got a eight, guest on. Someone is doing some sort of test sort over of the airwaves on. Either that, or I'm going crazy and hearing voices in my no, head. No, you're not. It's the second we, time it's happened today. We, we can hear. Um, <laughs> I suppose it'll be good for the future, whatever they're yeah. doing. So anyway, uh, <laughs> both teams were not able uh, in that second period to do the things that they like to do that got them there. And so I asked us at halftime, what kind of adjustments do the two teams need to make? Uh, in order to do the things they like to do. And Gus, let's talk Nokomis. What did you think Nokomis needed to do in order to be successful? Well, when I looked at Nokomis, what was happening, uh, Freiburg was doing a pretty good job. But they were a lot of times they were in that uh, 3-5-3 defense, which allows you to send a linebacker from any different spot. And, of course, Nokomis was dropping straight back in the pocket and passing, and they were getting a lot of pressure up front. Uh, they were moving the down lineman, they were sending a linebacker, and what was happening is quarterback was either getting pressured, getting sacked, or getting flushed out of the pocket. So it looked pretty clear to me that the defense was in a situation where every time that uh, Nokomis wanted to pass, they knew where he was going to set up, and they just uh, teed off and, and went after him. And so it appeared to me that Nokomis wanted to throw the ball. They were going to have to move the pocket and take that pressure off the uh, – uh, the quarterback by either bootlegging or rolling out and uh, that type of stuff. Uh, and evidently, uh, the Nakomas uh, coaches must have seen the same thing because they went in at halftime, they made that adjustment. Now, they didn't score a lot of points, uh, but it sure took a lot of pressure off their offense. They did move the ball, uh, gave them some better field position, which was a real issue uh, in that game. But that was obviously... Uh, the adjustment they need to make, and they were successful at doing it second half. Now, we saw Freiburg come out at halftime, and, and uh, they went with a two-back set uh, instead of just simply having either an empty backfield or the one-back set uh, with a quarterback in the gun. And uh, 
move the ball fairly successfully. Yeah, you know, and, and I think I think at halftime I had said to you, I didn't specifically say two back, but I said they're going to have, if they're going to be a run game, they're going to have to find a way to move the ball and maybe they're going to have to add a back, uh, a blocking back into the backfield. What really struck me about that is I thought it was a great halftime adjustment on Freiburg's part. They came out, all of a sudden they had two backs in the backfield uh, in addition to the quarterback. They moved the ball pretty successfully and then they stalled. Uh, but they didn't go back to it, which surprised me, and uh, not really sure why. I'd love to have that conversation with them because I thought it was a really good halftime adjustment. They had some initial success with it, um, and uh, but they went away from it and uh, went back to um, their regular offense and then got in a situation where they had to pass the ball, which I don't think was um, is entirely their comfort zone. You know, we talked about... Uh after the game, we talked. Well, we talked about it in the post game talk, and then after the game, it, it's such a game of mistakes and and uh, inches. It, with they had to adjust the clock because they 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 came to the sideline and had the the clock operator put three more seconds on the clock. So I remember very vividly four forty four on the clock. They had to move it from forty one to forty four, and. Um, Freiburg had the ball leading 12-7, to 7, and we said, you know, if they get a couple of first downs, maybe more, but let's say a couple, even if they can't drive all the way down, then they can kick the ball, punt the ball down, and make Nokomis come the length of the field. And we said, you know, that's a winning formula. Field position, make them drive 80 yards. It's tough in high school to not make a mistake, especially on that stage, or get a penalty or whatever. Well, what happened was the first part of that, the first trying to get the first first down, they had foolish penalty wide receiver jumping but they made that one up and got the first down and then the second one the same thing happened the other the receiver on the other side jumped and then there was a pass they had an unsportsmanlike make a long story short with 330 something they'd only run about a minute off they they needed to to punt the ball and that's when uh, Tyler Pelletier took the punt and ran well, they said 63 yards in the paper. You and I was sitting right, it looked like 69 yards to me. I thought he caught it just inside that line. But anyway, he got to the corner, turned it. He got a wall built there and went all the way for a touchdown. Uh, that ended up winning the game. Uh, they ended up moving the ball a little bit at the end and taking a knee. But, you know, again, a couple of penalties. One very costly with an unsportsmanlike. But they get that first down, Gus. The game's different. Yeah, it is. And I think at the end of the third quarter, uh, when we talked, it, it was pretty clear that that game was going to be won and lost by either a mistake or a turnover, penalties, or a big play. And in the end, it was the latter two that really made the difference. Um, a lot of penalties that were very untimely, drive stoppers, and then, of course, the big play, the big uh, punt return. And that's what really made the difference in that game. Um, you know, something else in my hat, my hat's off to the uh, Nokomis coaching staff because um, sometimes uh, people have a hard time seeing the forest through the trees, as the old saying goes. But right at the end of the game, Nokomis was ahead 13-12. to 12. They got the ball on the one-yard line, the one-yard line, and uh, they had a first down on the one. And Nokomis staff wasn't tempted by let's drive the ball in and get a touchdown. Uh, I think they clearly saw uh, here's a chance. We can just take a knee. We can run the clock out. 
Uh, Freiburg will never get the ball back, and we can ensure winning, not necessarily by scoring, but by keeping the ball away from our opponent uh, and playing a conservative cover the ball. And I think it was absolutely the right decision um, by the Nakoma's coaching staff. They uh, they had a, a good strategic view of how do you win football games and uh, where I think someone – a coaching staff, uh, might, which which are a little bit more immature, might just say, "Hey, the ball's in the one. We got to drive this ball in. We got to score again, and then we'll rely on our defense." Um, and, and 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 I just think it was just a really good decision by the Tacoma staff uh, to play it the way they did. And of course, in the end, they won a state championship. Yeah, because you you know you could fumble the ball trying to hand it off, or the quarterback trying to quarterback sneak, and the number two, and just as big, if not bigger for me, is great sportsmanship. They don't need another touchdown to make themselves – I mean, they're going to win That's the state right. championship anyway. Take a knee and and go home happy as heck that you've won your first. Now, I understand, when talking to the guys, uh, Matt Cowlin yesterday, the first state championship of any type in any of the – Boy sports, sports Boy right? sports, yeah. I believe. Girls have won yeah. in boy sports in that school's history. Oh, wow. First time That's a ever. great story, yeah. Is that a great, what a great accomplishment? Because I think there was a lot of thought about Northern Sea has uh, Herman, brand new, brand new program. Right. Uh, Washington Academy. Um, Holton. Holton. Ellsworth. I mean, there's a, not a lot of what you call football-rich tradition uh-huh. schools. Yeah. And you could make the case that, what schedule? You know, they played, they played MCI. You know, Winslow, I mean, they played a couple of tough teams, but I mean, not exactly what you think is the medal of, of football nirvana, and yet they came in ready to go. Yeah, they, Class C. Oh, go ahead. Class. No, I should say, they played good defense. I mean, oh, I boy. think I think the, the kudos that Nokomis needs to get uh, as part of that state championship is they played good defensive football. I mean, the week before, they played Levitt, which is an explosive offense. Yes, they lost their quarterback, but... Um, they sh- they shut down uh, Levitt's offense pretty much, and they did the same thing with Nakomas. Uh, you know, th- there's an old saying in coaching circles that offense wins games and defense wins wow. championships, and that wasn't held out by all of the Class A, B, C, um, D games on uh, on Saturday. But in that Class C game, very clearly, defense won the championship. Well, in Class C, is the most fun to break down because it was actually close. The other yeah, three games right. were, unfortunately, uh, blowouts, including the Class A state title game, Thornton Academy. Never trailed this year in any game they played. Gus, you were an assistant this year at Lewiston. Um, you, you guys had to play Thornton. Um, is this a reflection of how great Thornton was or how the rest of Class A just isn't up to the task right now, you think? No, clearly uh, Thornton was the best football team yeah. that I saw all year long. A uh, combination of uh, their personnel, uh, big, fast, strong, uh, and um, their ability to put balls on the uh, scores on the on the scoreboard and also play good defense. We, you know, we went down to Thornton Academy and played them, and for the first period, uh, really held them at bay. Uh, we played pretty much over our head. Once the dam went loose, uh, you could see uh, the kind of quality that uh, they were. I, clearly, I don't think it was uh, a matter of poor defense. I just think Thornton Academy was just that good this year. They were clearly the best football uh, team in Class A, in my opinion. Gus, there's been a lot of chatter. Uh, I know the football committee has met. They're going to meet again, as, as always. 
Uh, they want to talk about eight-man football. They want to talk about maybe taking the 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 top those top teams and making them one division. Doesn't make a difference about north and south, and have a play you know a, a schedule and a playoff. Probably would increase travel some. Uh, we've seen regular season not bad. Uh, a lot of blowouts in the championships. And one of the guys that called in, I think it was Callan, said, you know, we, there's been blowouts in any other sports, especially basketball, and we forget about those because there's so many games and so many teams playing, whatever. We notice it in football uh, much more. Um, what do you think? What's the what's future? What, what are we going to look forward to in the future of football in the state of Maine in your, in your eyes? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I guess I'd answer that a couple of ways. You know, there's been a there's been a real uh, reluctance by some schools in the state of Maine to look at a statewide Class A schedule uh, to match up the most powerful schools against the most powerful schools. Can I interrupt? That's what it used to be. When I first started coaching, yeah. Bangor played Thornton, St. Louis was a, a parochial school. Biddeford is just a just the what I call the super A's, if you will, and that's it. So. Yeah, and and I and I think if if they want to keep football healthy and they want to avoid, I mean, you're always going to have blowouts. I mean, you look at college football. Yeah, you, you get blowouts all the time. Sure. Yep. But in high school football in the state of Maine, it's it's the problem is it's a long state. But you know, other than small schools north of Bangor, you know, all the all the large schools of Bangor South. And um, I think that's a, a viable thing for the football committee to look at. Uh, the membership, but there's a certain segment of the membership that won't be in favor of that and uh, won't support it. But I think that's one of the things they need to look at. I think keeping football as competitive as possible is healthy for the sport uh, and it's good for kids, you know. And um, I think it's important we don't lose sight that um, – and I can say this because I used to be a principal and I used to be a coach and so on and so forth. This isn't about principals and it's not about coach. Uh, high school athletics is about kids. And, uh, you know, I, anything we can do to uh, make it a competitive sport and to, uh, to enhance the experience for kids is important. So I think looking at uh, a Class A schedule that is not divisional is something they need to look at. I mean, certainly with declining enrollments, when you look at the enrollment in the state of Maine uh, and you look at the sidelines, any Saturday, the number of kids, not only the small schools, but with the exception of a few schools, even the Class A schools, uh, their, their, their uh, participation is down. Uh, enrollment in Maine schools is down. I think looking at uh, eight-man football um, or an eight-man football league uh, where it allows schools to uh, say, oh, we're, gonna, we're not going to play 11-man football, we're going to play eight-man football because that's more realistic, uh, especially in small schools that are supporting soccer, uh, cross-country, uh, golf, uh, football. Um, I think those are both very viable things to look at. Not, if, you don't, if your school doesn't want to play eight-man football, you don't have to. Uh, but it will allow... Uh, an, uh, a group of kids uh, to play football in some schools that maybe otherwise would not have the opportunity. I mean, what they've done uh, in the last 15 years or so is have consolidated schools uh, playing teams together. You know, hockey's fallen into that too as well. And uh, maybe the solution is to develop an eight-man league and, 
you know, usually there isn't one answer that works, in my opinion. Usually multiple answers. Uh, of course, it takes a lot of courage to do that. But I think those are both viable things. If you if you looked at consolidating the Class A schools, the large schools, to try to have very competitive school uh, competition amongst those larger schools, uh, looked at eight-man football for those schools that wanted to, and then filled in the middle with the smaller schools who wanted to continue to play 11-man football, that model to me makes a lot of sense. Now, whether or not the people making the decision will see it that way or not, I don't know. Apparently yeah. people think it's coming soon, though, right? Oh, I think so. They've yeah. already talked about eight-man football. The other thing that I w- might add to that, Gus, is I've always said, and I already said it today, football, because of the physical nature of it, and hockey, because of the availability of a rink, make those sports somewhat different than the others. Everybody always says, well, their sport's different than the others. Well, no, I, I, I would say the rest are not that way. Uh, but I think... Um, in, in a sport like football where the, the physicality of it does make a difference, I, I do think that you need to look at, in the last three to five years, what has your program looked like? Are you on the upswing or have you been down for a while and maybe it's not going to come up for a while? Because uh, we just lost a couple of coaches. The, the Mountain Valley coach just got done. And, uh, you know, he's worked hard over that last three years to try to bring that, them back to some semblance of where they've been in the past. So how about you, you divide that? Not as much. I mean, certainly enrollment's always going to be a piece of it. But can it be that, that, that these are the teams that have had strong, strong programs? We'll put them together. And those schools that have struggled, I mean, you know them, the, some, of those, some of those e-schools, Telstar and whatever, let's put them together. The, that's what the developmental, the E-division was for, is those struggling teams that, that either are just coming into football or a school like Deerigo who's head school, but their enrollments dropped down a little bit, give them an opportunity to, to be matched up with schools of similar ilk. Um, what about that? You think the NPA would relax the, the rule on, on uh, just simply classification by enrollment? Well, I think the NPA struggled with that over the years. Um, I know, you know, now there's a, they've, uh, been a little bit more flexible like with the teams that have combined the cooperative teams, they've, yeah. the cooperative teams they've changed the enrollment um, a formula for them uh, I don't know if, if they'll look at that or not but you know you mentioned a few things that really complicate this um, sometimes uh, you've got programs that struggle a new coach comes in and that coach can make a difference. Get some enthusiasm. Sure. Absolutely. You know, and then the schools or the communities that are able to have feeder programs, you know, youth football programs and that type of stuff, uh, that makes a difference as well sometimes. Not always. Uh, so sometimes you get that perfect storm. You got, you got uh, you know, a feeder program. You get a, a coach that comes in at the high school that uh, – brings a, a quality into that program that maybe not, may not have existed before. And all of a sudden that school, that program that struggled uh, climbs up on top. And we may have, you know, we may have uh, seen that uh, in some of the, the squads this year. So I don't know. I, I think some, it's kind of like the old thing about when two people are arguing, the truth is somewhere in the middle, <laughs> you know? So I think when we look at the answers to uh, classification, um, and, and competitive athletic teams, the truth or the solution probably is someplace in the middle or some kind of a compromise uh, between holding 
holding your ground and staying with the old conservative uh, way of looking at things or being real radical and having it wide open. This, my, in my opinion, the answer is probably somewhere in between. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens there in the future. But for now, we're going to take another break. The next half, half hour is going to be great. We're going to have the head coach of the Bates College Swimming and Diving Program, Peter Casares, on. And then at 11.50, we'll have Willie McGinnis on to talk some more NFL. So a action-packed final half hour. Back in a moment, this is the B-List Daily on Sports Time, 780 the new 105.0. Sports. Culture when it comes to sports teams in New England. Well, now there's a new team to add to the list. The orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners. An all-star team of orthopedic care right here in your backyard. Four of the area's top orthopedic practices, OA Centers for Orthopedics, Central Maine Orthopedics, Falmouth Orthopedic Center, and Maine Ortho have joined forces to become a dream team of orthopedic care where physicians, surgeons, sports medicine specialists, and clinical staff share resources and work as one to make patient care efficient and more affordable. To learn more about the orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners and connect with a provider in your area, visit spectrumhcp.com ortho. That's spectrumhcp.com ortho. The 18th Annual MBR All-Star Weekend takes place November 17th and 18th at the Augusta Civic Center, presented by Spectrum Healthcare Partners. The weekend consists of the best high school basketball players throughout northern and southern Maine, squaring off from 6th grade to 12th grade. Boys and girls, get signed up now. Find more information at mainebasketballreport.com or at mbr.org. November 17th and 18th, you'll be able to watch the live stream of those games as well at mbr.org. All presented by Spectrum Healthcare Partners. See something? Smell something? Do something. When your basement or crawl space smells, don't ignore it. Odors, mold, and harmful pollutants come from too much moisture and not enough air circulation, making your home unhealthy. Do something. Call Wave Home Solutions today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. Experts recommend ventilation instead of dehumidifiers to reduce moisture and expel harmful gases and pollutants. Wave Moisture Control Units continuously dry out your home, transforming it into a fresher, healthier environment year-round. Wave units cost only pennies a day to operate, and there are no buckets too empty. Call Wave today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. That's goodairusa.com or call 1-888-980-WAVE. If you owe the IRS back taxes, payroll taxes, or have not filed your returns, the IRS will get you. Call Wallen Associates now and pay less than you owe. 800-727-0433. That's 800-727-0433. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs risk-free, call 1-800-679-0969. 
That's 1-800-679-0969. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. All aboard MBR.org! The place to get all your high school and amateur sports news and information. MBR.org is in high gear with Maine High School Winter Sports. Go to MBR.org to chat about your favorite team. Find the latest articles, travel news and cancellations or visit their all new and very popular team pages mbr.org has everything you want to know about high school and amateur sports in maine coming in february all the high school tournament action at your fingertips 24 7 it's high school sports heaven all aboard mbr.org if you are a coach, a booster, a PTA leader, Maine Athletic Fundraising is the choice to help you make money. Maine Athletic Fundraising works with both high school and youth programs of all ages to make you the most amount of money in the least amount of time. No risk, no minimums. Mark Smith and his staff will walk you through every step of their plan to help you meet your financial goals. Call them today, 207-468-1759, or check them out online, MaineAthleticFundraising.com. Delivering on the promise. When it comes to insurance, choose the best. The Shampoo Insurance Group, licensed by more than 30 companies, including Ohio Mutual Insurance Group, Shampoo will customize a quality, affordable policy for your home and auto. Visit Shampoo Insurance in Lewiston, Pinkham Agency in Farmingdale, Rogers Agency in Lisbon Falls, and People's Agency in Monmouth. Delivering on the promise. At Shampoo Pinkham Rogers Insurance Agencies. Welcome back into the Spectrum Healthcare Partner Studios. This is the B-List Daily on the new 105 Sports, also on Sports Time 780. My name is Aaron Morse, filling in for Maddie B on this Tuesday. we got Coach Dave Wing in studio, Coach Gus LeBlanc in studio, and now joining us, the head coach of the Bates College men's and women's swimming and diving teams, uh, Peter Casares, coming off a great meet to start the year at Wesleyan and with Trinity as well. Bobcat men won both uh, meets and women won theirs as well. So outscoring Wesleyan and Trinity. And coach, I understand the women's meet came down to the final race. Uh, take us through how exciting that was, a 200 free relay to secure the win. Yeah, so um, <laughs> we have a, um, you know, to be honest with you, I knew this was happening when we were on our way to Wesleyan because oh. Um, I knew how good they have become over the last years. And we have won pretty handily the last four or five years against Wesleyan. But I realized what they brought to nationals last year. And I realized that we have um, four All-American women abroad right now um, and no divers on our team. So I thought, okay, this is going to be a close meet, a lot closer than we've seen it. And about halfway through the meet, I was like, women were only up by two. And they were confused because we were, we were doing really well. But we didn't have any divers. So we were down 32 points before the meet starts when <sighs> you look at it that way. Right. Um, and that's on me. I got to get divers to the team. We've got some coming in next year, but, um, when you've got holes like that, you have to overcome them. And so we were in a, we were in a battle and we were talking about it throughout the course of the meet. And I was really excited because to start out your season with a chance to have a meet come down to the last event, um, and to see kind of what kind of performance you get under pressure like that, um, was good. And it was a lot of young kids. Cause right. we, have, we have 10 freshman women on the team right now. Wow. So 
they stepped up, did really well, and we said, you know, I think if we really want to guarantee this victory, um, we got to win this last race. Um, and it turns out we could have gone two, three, and won by a point. Okay. Who wants to win a meet losing the last event, right? Right. So I just took them aside and said, you know, we got to win if we're going to win this meet. And um, we dove in even with a 50 to go, and our and our sophomore on our team that's a five-time All-American um, swam an unbelievable 50 free for us to finish it off um, and out-touch the girl by a tenth and a, by about a tenth of a second. Um, and yeah. it was really exciting. She's... Um, Last year, she was like 25 seconds in the 50 free. She went 23.9 in this race. So she really stepped it up. Um, and it was cool because she stayed underwater on her last turn, a la Michael Phelps, you know, <laughs> and was down underwater, dolphin kicking, passing the girl who was swimming on the surface. She popped up with a lead and held on to the end. So the, the girls erupted. The men were going bonkers. Wow. And it was just a great way to, to start off the season. And that was Caroline Apathy, the sophomore, yep. five-time All-American last year at Nationals. You mentioned a lot of All-Americans right now are studying abroad, which is great, yeah. but obviously leaves the team a little short-handed. But that could be a good thing for the future in terms of getting these uh, women some great experience, right? Yeah, so we looked at it that way. We, we knew what was happening when we graduated some very good talent and knew that our junior class had a lot of interest in going abroad. So we, we told the women they needed to bring in a big class, and they brought in 10. You know, we recruited well. Um, and then I thought to myself, you know, the first week of practice, oh, God, like we have more freshmen around here, you know, than we have upperclassmen at this point. Um, and it was um, it was like, where are those leaders that were so used to showing the way? And so we had to do a lot of um, kind of teaching and talking and, and introducing concepts and ideas um, and making sure our upperclassmen were hearing them again for the third time, but our freshmen were getting um, a good go at how important they were. Um, and, you know, Vanessa and I, Coach Vanessa, my associate head coach, we just knew that it was opening up doors for people to do stuff. And we were having opportunities, and we were excited to see who was going to step up and who was going to rise to the occasion. And then Coach Vanessa Williamson, uh, Edward Little grad, uh, Bates grad as well, of course. So uh, local, uh, nice to have a local associate head coach. And then also, um, speaking of locals, Matthew Charest for the men's team, mm -hmm. Lewiston High School guy. You told me he thought he had his best meet yet, huh? Yeah, I mean, he's he was he had a. Um, so he's a Lewiston High School guy, and I've known Matt since he was nine because he started taking lessons at the Bates pool. And so Matt and the family and I have been close, and uh, he came to Bates, and his freshman year, he um, it was like he was hit over the head with a, with a two-by-four. I mean, every day he was beat up from practice. Um, and he came through the freshman year, and he swam pretty well, but sophomore year his body had adapted, and he broke out at conferences with three top eight finishes in the conference and a national cut. Didn't get invited to the meet, but won a cut, which is a huge right. accomplishment. Um, and then over the summer, this junior year, instead of just kind of sitting back on his, on his laurels and being like, I have arrived, he worked hard. Um, and this was his best opening meet of his three years, significantly, about two seconds faster in his 100, about four in his 200. Um, so he came ready to play, and um, he's a hard worker, and he really understood how to transition from being tired during practice to being fast at a meet. And, and to see him do that was, was exciting. I'm excited to see what happens. Coach, what uh, what kind of things do you do with that really young team, team building wise? Are there specific activities you do to to bring them together that uh, to almost look for a leader? Who, yeah, who's going to come forward? Yeah, so we, I mean, we we run a lot of practices throughout the week, right? So there's three mornings, five afternoons, and a Saturday. Whoa. Um, and we've got eight lanes and sixty kids on the team, fifty five kids on the team. So we're constantly managing how do you get that many kids in the pool and out. 
and we've done a, a boatload of mixing and matching. It's almost become like a jigsaw puzzle that we've put together for these first three weeks of if this group's coming in at 2.30 and this group's coming at 4.30 the next day, this group needs to be here and this group needs to be there. And so by the end of the week, all the kids on the team are kind of seeing each other. Because if you have too many leaders in the early group and not any in the later group, so so we've kind of worked that way. But we've had to we've had to ask kids to step up and lead lanes, and we've had to kind of just talk to our freshmen about what our expectations are and, and keep teaching them. With the NESCAC starting so late in November, um, we don't have time to do like some team building stuff. We're just trying to get them in shape and get them going. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of those you know during those nine practices a week we do a lot of. Um, talking and teaching, not just swimming laps back and forth. And then we, we try to give different people chances to step up, and then we talk about what they did when we needed them to do it. Is there dry land uh, training for swimmers? Yeah. So the three mornings in the week are spent in the in the weight room. Um, we have our lifting coach, Mike Selter, in there um, with them. And then they come to the pool and do a little bit of swimming. And then we have a circuit in the afternoons that we do sometimes. So we mix in the dry land and the nice. swimming for sure. Yeah. Um, Coming up on Friday, November 30th, you have the main state meet being hosted this year by boat, and that will be not only on the 30th, but also on the 1st of December as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about the main state meet. If people make the trip out to Brunswick to check it out, what can they expect to see there? Uh, they're here to see the best swimmers in Maine. Yeah. You know, so um, all the colleges that have swim teams are coming this year, which is the first time we've gotten everybody involved and the schedule's all worked out. Um, and so we all go to different conferences at the end of the year. Uh, so December made like a good time or it looked like a good time for all the teams to to circle a weekend and so in the past it's been Bates, Colby, um, Bowdoin and University of Maine um, and this year UNE, um, St. Joe's, Maine Maritime, uh, maybe Huston is coming I'm not sure if they could make it or not but we have about seven teams that are going to be there this year um, and it's an invite and it's uh, three sessions so it's Friday night at 6 30 um, and then Saturday at 10 a.m. and Saturday again at 5 p.m. at night. And so there's about five or six events each session, and the kids get in there and they race the best in the state of Maine, the best college teams around. Yep. So it's a lot of fun. The kids swim fast. We've had some national cuts there. Um, we've had some school records. But um, it's the middle of the season, so people are tired. It's about how tough you can be. What is national cut? What does that mean? So if you go a specific time in your event, you can be added to the list of kids considered for the national meet. And if you're one of the top 20 women, you're usually invited in the country. And if you're one of the top 16 men, you're usually invited. And then the Bobcats will be hosting Dartmouth on Friday, December 7th at Ivy League school. I don't I don't recall you guys competing against an Ivy League school, at least no. since I've been here at base. I don't know about your tenure. No, but, no, no. This, was a new, yeah. this was a new addition to the schedule. Um, I, in January, drive out to Middlebury. And I thought to myself, okay, if we're going to make that five-hour trip, it'd be nice to swim both Saturday and Sunday. So I reached out to Dartmouth and said, you know, you're on the way. Um, would you like Would you like a meet, you know, to swim and 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 uh, would it work in your schedule? And they said, sorry, it doesn't. But we need one in December in the second week. And I said, how about our place? And they agreed. And I said, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. So um, we needed to pick up a home meet. So it worked out well. Um, and I'm really excited. I mean, w we swim in the fastest conference in the country with the deepest um, championship meet around. Um, and if we're thinking about being a national level team, we have to swim the best. Um, and Dartmouth is 
um, a fantastic Division One Ivy League team um, that is really going to force us to step up and, and swim fast. And I'll tell the team, you know, we don't want to get embarrassed, so bring it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, and they'll see what they can do and see if they can step up their times. And I, I don't know where the score is going to end up. I'm not really concerned at all. I just want to see how do we perform when we have to perform. Because when you have to do it is the hardest time to do it. Yeah. Is there any difference? You know, we coach several different sports and whatever. And you always worry about kids understanding when the, when the, the game is on the line or your part of the game is on the line. How do you? figure out how to step up and not just be nervous and whatever. What What's that like for a swimmer? What What's the things that are going on in their mind or what are the things that their body's experiencing that maybe we're not seeing in some of the sports yeah. we coached? So the swim season's a battle. I mean, we, we live in this world of endurance where we're trying to make them tired, right? Um, <laughs> we're, we're working them hard nine times a week. We think if we can physiologically change them to be a better efficient machine, um, they'll hold faster times with better ease. Right, And then once you get to the end of the year, when you rest the athlete, they become fast. So a rested athlete is fast, not a tired one. And I, I tell my swimmers all the time because they think if they keep working hard, they're going to be fast. And I'm like, well, if you keep working hard, you're going to be tired. Tired's not fast. So it's a, it's a really hard thing because the harder you work, the better you're going to be. But the harder you work, the slower you're going to be. So we have to, we have to live in this world of how do we train really hard but then race really fast. Um, and so if you get behind the blocks, you've got a lot of things going on in your mind at different parts in the season. And come December 7th, they're going to come off a three-session meet the weekend before against the best in Maine. Then they're going to have five days um, to get ready before exams start. So school's going to be at full tilt. Um, and all the papers are due and all the last tests are done. Are, you know, everything's kind of coming to, a, to a, a pinnacle there in their academic life. And then we're going to see Dartmouth. <laughs> so, so they're going to be stressed from every possible lingering stress coming stress current stress it's all going to be on them <laughs> and so they're gonna be behind the blocks going i'm exhausted i'm tired this team's way too fast what am i even doing here or they're going to be behind the blocks going okay this is my race this is how i can swim it and we have to think process oriented at this point um the world of swimming is very much time oriented so people look at times and what can i go and what result can i get but we have to get them to leave that behind you know, and, and say, okay, this is how I want to swim the race. And if I swim the race right, the time will be right. And, and that's what we're really looking for is how do we get them to focus in on their swims, what they can execute really well. And then if they're in a close race with a quarter of it left, can they, can they race? Can they step up? Can they do it for baits? Um, and that's where the team aspect really comes in. It's, you know, we talked a lot this weekend about let's bring back two NESCAC wins for Bates College. We don't even care about your times, about your swims. Let's beat that team and race them and, and bring back some, some wins for the college. And, and that's what we try to do when, when you get to that point in your race, three-quarter of it is over. Is there somebody nearby I can outtouch? Is there some spirit I can break out there in the lane next to me? Can I become a winner? Can I make it tough for them? And it better hurt if they're going to beat me. <laughs> they better be in a lot of pain if they're going to beat me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so we try to get them back there behind the blocks to leave all the stuff behind, focusing on the process, and then race. Race for the school. Yeah, so the Bobcats take on Dartmouth December 7th, and then your next meet after that is at Middlebury on January 13th, so more than a month later. But it's not downtime, right? There's a training trip that's yeah. pretty, I don't know, legendary, famous. The swimmers love it. Uh, tell yeah. us about the training trip they do. Yeah, so we're going to head to Florida for uh, nine days and, and wake up in the morning and swim. Then they're going to eat as much food as they possibly can, <laughs> go to the beach, 
um, to reward themselves for all their hard work, and then I'm going to shuttle them back to the pool for a second two-hour monster practice. And then they're going to come home and eat as much food as they can and go to bed. And we're going to do that for nine days. And <laughs> I love it. <laughs> they're going to they're going to they're going to get to know each other. They go out for dinners um, with different groups, and they have mix-up dinners and class dinners and um, women's team and men's team. And uh, they go to the beach. They play the games. They uh, laugh. They enjoy each other. But it's all work without the distraction of um, school or dorms or college peers or this or that. So we do some amazing things chemistry wise, but also physiologically speaking in terms of the work that we can do and they can handle. Coach, you made reference to a monster practice. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, swimming is a sport that's probably kind of select. Most of the people out there listening to this radio show or most people in the community, you know, they may have seen swimming on TV, they may have seen a meet, but they don't know a lot about what constitutes a monster practice. I mean, yeah. uh, what kind of energy and effort is an individual swimmer putting in in what you would you would categorize as a monster practice? Yeah, so our, our practices are, I, I like to keep them to about two hours um, at a time, and I think that's, a, that's what's enough to get them where they need to go, especially if you're going nine times a week, right? And, and a monster practice really is... We warm up the same every day. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes. And then we work on our skills. What can we do to get better at the sport, our technique and this and that. Um, and then when you come to a practice that's extremely challenging, it's me looking at getting them in a zone, a particular energy system, um, and holding them there for a long time. And if you've got a distance swimmer, you want them with a heart rate over 170 for 35 minutes straight okay and 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 you you probably are going to write a set that takes 50 minutes because you have them spiking and dropping at different times but overall their average is is hanging out in that area so you know when we're done with a practice they're swimming six to seven thousand yards which is about four miles or so um and that's that's a that's a lot to ask of your shoulders and your body and even your brain, right? To to kind of maintain that focus and, and get through that. Um, and so that's a that's a distance oriented practice. Our sprinters might not be doing as many miles, um, but they're asked to go into a completely kind of different zone um, where they're producing lactate and their body's breaking down over and over again. Um, and you know you get to a point actually where you're losing your coordination, where you just you, you, there's no there's no energy left in the tank. The gas tank is empty and you're trying to figure out where can I find other energy storage in my body. And, you know, science will tell you that even when that lactate is being produced, the stuff that makes you tight and the stuff that makes you feel like um, your muscles are, are done and cramping up and, and, and unable to kind of stretch and relax and, and, and cooperate with you, um, there's energy in there and your body learns to synthesize that and do it. So we have to get them to that zone so that they can produce it because that's how you get speed but also tolerate it. And so when we're looking at things, we're looking at a lot of different things in terms of who you are and what energy system you need, and then how do we get you there and have you deal with it? How do you produce it, how do you tolerate it, and how do you, how do you maintain and, and really do that? So if we're trying to physiologically change you there, we gotta keep you at that high heart rate for a long time. If we're trying to make you fast, we have to, we have to introduce some very uncomfortable moments to you over wow. and over again. Yeah. And that's, that's right. what we're doing in about two hours. And then you're trying to figure out how to recover them for the next one so they can do it again. Yeah. Peter, who are some up-and-coming uh, bait swimmers we should be excited about this year? I mean, I know you got big rosters, men and women, right? Yeah. So in, in terms of um, our, our current 
roster that's here right now. Um, you know, Alex Bedard, our senior who went to nationals last year with us um, and our captain, his breaststroke, uh, he just popped the second fastest time in the conference last weekend um, and was well ahead of where he's been. And he is um, looking like a man on a mission. So I would say Alex is, is looking very good. Um, Matt Charette, uh, Charette, obviously, was looking good. Um, one of our school record holders, five-time school record holders, Alex Ignatov, um, he, he posted a very fast time in his 500, and he's looking healthier than he's ever been, and that's great in a distance swimmer. And then we have some freshmen that are really turning heads right now. Um, Kyle Jorgensen came back from behind in the 200 free and won it at our first meet. Um, Peter Corey has been extremely fast. Andrew Hall, um, another, another great up-and-coming kid. Um, and then Dan Waterland, a backstroker who went undefeated in his first college meet, um, really kind of picking up where Raleigh Ewing left off for us. So there's some really great talent there. On the women's side, um, we have some great leadership um, in the seniors um, and then some NCAA experience in Lucy Faust, um, who has been to nationals on the eight free relay the last two years. Um, and she's always solid and dependable and a tr great leader um, in and out of the water. Um, and then as you look down into the next classes, you've got um, our sophomore Caroline Apathy, who we mentioned earlier, their butterflyer, and then a whole host of freshmen. Great. Um, Caroline Sweeney, uh, Maya Reynoso-Williams, um, let's see, Izzy Muhammadi Hall. I mean, just some great kids that are showing us some talent that we thought when you recruit them, and then you go, yeah, they've got it when you see them swing. Nice. Yep. So there's some good kids out there, and I think those are some of the names you're going to see on our relays and potentially vying for that national spot. Definitely should be an exciting season for the Bates Swim and Dive team. Again, they're at the Main State Meet November 30 and December 1, and then home Tarbell Pool December 7th against Dartmouth. Peter Casares, thanks so much for joining us here on the B-List. You bet. It. My pleasure. And now we're going to move right into NFL talk. We've got Willie McGinnis on the line to talk some football after last night's uh, Monday night football offensive show. Willie, you're a defensive guy. Uh, what were your thoughts going through your mind watching that game last night, covering that game for NFL Network, I understand? Yeah, man, my, my 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 head was spinning with all the points and yards that you know that was going on and and scored. But um, I was happy to see the defense, you know, at least come in and, and make some crucial stops, uh, some turnovers, and score points and be responsible for points scored on defense. And um, you know, when you're looking at teams like that that are so explosive offensively, that can hurt you in a lot of ways. You know, going into the game, you're not going to have. Uh, a defense that just stops everything. You got to be able to slow them down, and don't you know? Never mind the numbers in the in, in the yards. Um, once they get inside the twenty, you know you got to figure out. Okay, now now's the time that we got to limit them to either field goals or get turnovers or keep them off the board. And that's crucial when it comes to playing against those offenses. But um, I was sitting there, man, and I was amazed. But I understood it, and I did see some good defense when it was needed. I mean, what more can you say about Aaron Donald and he, what he does on the defense for the Rams? I mean, he is just a remarkable player. Who, who's a comp from maybe when you were playing that he kind of reminds you of, perhaps? Well, I mean, there's a lot of guys, man, playing on, on that level. Um, I will say this about Donald. Um, we need to stop talking about defensive player of the year and start putting him into the MVP category. Mm. I don't know why when it's a defensive player, we, you know, we, we always just throw him in a defensive uh, MVP or whatever the case may be, defensive player of the year. But he, he's playing like a, a, 
the most valuable player of the league. We got to put him in that conversation, man. Um, he's so explosive. He does so much from the interior. And um, I said that going into the game, you know, in our in our pregame preview. Um, if this Kansas City Chiefs offense is going to have a chance, they got to eliminate the interior pressure. Um, and of course, he you know he wrecked shot man last night once again. Yes, he did, certainly. And then, you know, the two quarterbacks, Jared Goff, uh, Pat Mahomes, obviously they were both outstanding as well. I mean, uh, if you were um, talking to a team or you, you were playing defense against them, what would be your approach to try to even just contain these guys? And, and uh, uh, I put probably different approaches for different quarterbacks. They're kind of different players, but they're both, they're both very explosive, obviously. Well, I, I, you know, I, when we did the post game, we, we interviewed Samson uh, Ibukum. Yeah. And, you know, he had a big day yesterday, a big night, rather. And I said, going into that game, I remember being in our defensive meeting rooms saying, okay, we got to stop this and this, and we got to make these guys beat us. What did you guys do going into this game saying you got to stop or limit? And the first thing was explosive plays explosive plays you can't give up big explosive plays which they did uh, didn't give up that many but they gave up a few which turned into points sam shields failed you know he fell down he was a little too aggressive on a certain route he fell turned into a uh, tariq hill long touchdown and they had some other explosive plays but you can't give up many and then the other thing is the running game um you know they pretty much eliminated or the team eliminated kareem hunt from handoffs because the game, you know, got got going so fast. So there's a couple things you've got to be able to do going in. Like I said, you're not going to be able to stop everything, but you've got to stop a few things or at least limit them. And then, Willie, on, you know, going forward this year, um, you know, the NFC, obviously you have the, the Rams and what they've done. The Saints are on fire. Um, I mean, those two teams, is there anyone who could emerge besides those two you think to possibly reach the Super Bowl? We were talking about the Bears being a strong team as well, but I, it seems like the Saints and Rams are just on a different level. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, they are. I yeah. mean, they are <laughs> playing a, a, at a different level offensively, but I will say defensively the Bears, man, mm-hmm. they're doing something special. Um, the year they went to the Super Bowl, you know, they led the league in, in takeaways and, and, and scoring defense and all those categories, man. And they're playing. They, they've already surpassed that, in, you know, a couple of weeks ago, what they've done defensively. So I will say, um, turning the football over, getting after the quarterback, being tenacious like they are, and the offense, man, they've showed glimpses of being explosive and, and scoring a lot of points. They were up until last week, I believe, scoring over 30, 35 points. So... That's a winning. Um, that's a winning recipe if you can if you can do that consistently. Uh, another team I saw was you know I, I thought the Panthers. I thought the Panthers would be able to be consistent and start you know piling up wins. Um, they've stumbled a little bit, and you know if they can get going, that's another team in the NFC. And then you see other teams that you know, are peaking or fighting or struggling to get in. Washington was at the league, but, you know, because of injuries, it was going to be tough for them. You see Dallas starting to play better. Um, you wanted Atlanta. You know, you were rooting for Atlanta to, 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 to get it to go to get it together, but you can't keep uh, – your chances get slim when you can't win football games. So it's going to be interesting. We'll see what happens and how it pans out in the next five weeks. 
All right, real quick, AFC, since we are up here in Maine, New England Patriots, um, obviously they've shown they can beat the Chiefs, but your thoughts on their chances uh, moving forward here, what they need to do to get back to that Super Bowl for them? They're coming off a a bye week, man. They've just got to make adjustments, make corrections, and they got to be consistent. I guess all the guys are coming back off the injury, and they got to put it together, and you got to play at a certain level at this time of the year. There you go. Willie McGinnis, thanks so much for joining us here on the B-List Daily. Appreciate it. Take care, Willie. All right, that was Willie McGinnis here on the B-List. As we're running out of time here, we got less than a minute. But I want to thank all our guests today, Travis Baird from Central Maine Sports, Peter Casares from Bates College Swimming and Diving, and, of course, co-hosts in studio here, Gus LeBlanc and Dave Wing. My name is Aaron Morse. Sign off. This has been the B-List Daily. W288CW Lewiston, AM 1240, WEZR Lewiston, WTME Rumford, 105.5 Sports.